I mentioned this morning that tonight we would take a break from our studies in Philippians and consider what God's word has to say about the uh, current uh, coronavirus and all that's happening. I did feel a little bit bad after the children's address when I, uh, in effect, tricked the children and especially Noah into giving the answer that they all expected. Um, That was the point I apologised to him afterwards. It was exactly right to say that. And so tonight we come to think about this virus and what God's word says to us from it. We've got three short readings. First of all, from Matthew chapter 8. Page 980, if you've got one of the church's Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, page 980. And here we get a snapshot of Jesus' ministry, um, and particularly in his healing of the sick. And I want you to note, particularly what's said in verse 17, where Matthew quotes... Uh, Isaiah and says that in Jesus' ministry here this part of Isaiah 53 a very famous chapter which speaks of Christ's uh, death on the cross is fulfilled in his ministry that we're told of here so Matthew 8 verse 14 and when Jesus entered Peter's house he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Page 1051, if you've got a Bible on the way in. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. And here Jesus is asked for his views on some current affairs, for items that were in the news uh, at his time. Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Then lastly, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is the passage that we were looking at this morning. Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm together, stand as one, stand in unity. And he goes on to explain that this has to be rooted in the example of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Christ and he sets out in a wonderful passage from verse 5 onwards what Christ has done Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 so if there is any encouragement in Christ 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests of others, not not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And our reading of God's word there. <coughs> our theme tonight is Christ and COVID-19. Christ and COVID-19. We're facing a global crisis. We've had global disease outbreaks before. Mention has been made in the news of the Spanish flu of 1917-1918. We've had more deadly outbreaks. The Ebola outbreak, SARS outbreak, both more deadly than what we're facing at the minute. But the combination of a relatively high fatality rate, a high contagion of the disease, and the unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly high interconnectedness of the world and the global community have brought us to a point in many ways of unprecedented trouble. To put it in context, in the 1300s it took 15 years for bubonic plague to to make it from China to Europe. 1917 Spanish flu outbreak took months to spread across the globe. In recent weeks, we've seen COVID-19 spread from China and across all the world in a matter of weeks. It spreads quickly. There are many infections, there are many deaths, and there's an economic crash and all sorts of ripple effects from all those things. In the last few days, it's pretty much all anyone has talked about. Shelves are empty, meetings are cancelled, schools are closed just across the border from us. People are left stranded in foreign countries. This is something that is on our minds and it's something that we need to address from God's word tonight. And the first thing I want to do is to underline the seriousness of the situation that we're in. This is not simply a severe flu. It's more contagious and more deadly than the flu. Up to ten times more deadly than the common flu. We could say, well, that is a relatively low mortality rate. It's only 1% to 2%. But a fraction, a small fraction of a large number is still a large number. 
and if they're suggesting that uh, was it 50 to 70 percent of the country uh, get uh, in France get the disease, one percent of that is still a large number of people. We can say, well, it's only the high risk, the, the elderly, those with underlying problems. But that's our loved ones. That's our parents and our uncles and aunts and our fellow members here. We can say, well, you know, it's relatively easy to deal with. Normal hygiene measures deal with it. That might be the case, but normal hygiene measures are not routinely followed by many people. A professor in a Hong Kong university said this. This virus's ability to mutate and spread is brilliant. There is something different about this virus. Its ability to mutate, adapt, spread is brilliant. So let's not underplay the seriousness of what we're facing. But tonight we want to bring God's word to bear in this crisis. I have three things to say. And I'm sorry the screen hasn't worked, but the three things are simple enough to, to follow and to note. First of all, I want to say something about what this crisis is not. Then I want to say something about what this crisis may be. And then I want to finish by saying what this crisis is. So first of all, what it is not. It might be serious, but it is not a reason to panic. It may be serious, but it is not a reason to panic. Earlier in the week, as I was preparing for our outreach services, and you remember Thursday night I was speaking about fear and Zephaniah's promise that all the causes of fear will be taken away. As I thought about fear, I considered the Roosevelt quote that's well known, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And as I thought about the sermon that I was preparing and the Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15, as I was thinking about that, I dismissed that quote as irrelevant for that because, as I said, there are plenty of things for us to fear. There are many more things than fear itself that we can and should fear that are reasonable and rational fears. But as I was preparing for tonight, I returned to that quote because there is an element of truth in it. That actually one of the things we should fear most is fear itself. Fear is in some ways as big a danger for many as the infection. Much of what I have seen on social media this week and heard this week is like Corporal Jones and Dad's army dancing around shouting, Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, all the while spreading panic and fear. That is what much of it has been like. And I don't just mean the mad carloads of toilet rolls and hand sanitizers or the 45-minute queues at Tesco's where normal people go in to do their shopping just to get normal things and they have to stand way back down the aisle, inching their way forward for 45 minutes. I was speaking to Paul Wright and he put it well. He said, we've seen all that is ugly, selfish and fear-filled. And that has been ugly, selfish, and fear-filled. But I don't just mean that. And I don't just mean wacky conspiracy theories about Chinese biological weapons and whatever else. All that stuff is nuts. But that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about panic. I think in this case, there is a potent mix of, on the one hand, hysteria, fueled by social media, And at the other, 
on the other hand, a, a weird strain of what we could say, what we could call virtue signalling. People and institutions almost trying to outdo each other to show how prepared they are and how careful they are. And combine the hysteria fueled by social media with this strange strain of virtue signalling and it's like people shouting, don't panic, don't panic, all the while panicking profusely. And as Christians, we are not immune from hysteria or unnecessary virtue signalling. And of course, bear in mind how I began. I don't mean to downplay the risk of what's going on. I am not saying this is much ado about nothing. I acknowledge that this is an unprecedented threat and a danger to many people's lives. But none of those things give us reason to panic. All those things are true, but they are not reason to panic. Our Lord tells us plainly in Matthew 7, Matthew 6, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. As you sit at your window these days and you look out and you see the birds crisscrossing the sky with back and forth with bits of twig and moss as they build their nests in the springtime. Think of them. God has made even those stupid birds that have a fraction of your intelligence or your value, he has made them to care for their young and made, given them a concern for their young. And he has ensured that even they are provided for. How much more us as people? How much more will he be concerned for us if he's concerned for the birds? If he's made them concerned for their children? You know, he is greater than a crow is. If a crow is concerned for their young, he's far greater. And he will provide for us because we are more valuable than many crows and many sparrows. Matthew six thirty one. They could have been written yesterday. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Because the shelves are empty. Or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be well stocked in case we have to self-isolate. That's wise provision. That's a good thing. But it seems to me there's a discernible difference between wise provision and panic. It's okay to provide wisely. We shouldn't panic. And much of what we've seen in recent days is ugly, selfish and fear-filled. These words of our Lord are the antidote that we need. Many millions of pounds are being spent looking for a vaccine. Here's the antidote, the vaccine that we need. We need to gulp it down. We need to let our stomach digest it. We need to let it work into every cell of our souls. Here's the vaccine for worry and panic. Do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows. 
The panic of the unbeliever is understandable. This life is all that they have. They have to cling on to physical life. The trolleys of loo roll and the boxes of pasta, they're a sad sign of the sinner's plight. Death must be avoided at all costs for them. But that's not us, is it? Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its hold. The empty tomb proves that. This life is the worst it gets for us. What does Paul say in Philippians? To die is gain. To die is more. To die is better. This life is the worst it gets for us. An old covenanter said this. What have we to do with death? It is a black boat that we must sail out of time to heaven in. And Christ steers the boat and lands all believers safely on heaven's shore. This is all we have to do with death. And when all the passengers are brought over, Christ will burn this ugly boat. That's all we have to do with death. It's a means of transport to the shore of heaven. And Christ, when he's brought us all there, will burn the ugly boat. What's our worst case as believers? That we catch coronavirus or flu or cancer and we die. And ultimately we depart and we, be, we are with Christ, which is far better. So don't lose sight of this in the panic. That's a reason not to worry. So first of all, it is not a reason to panic. Secondly, something it may be. It may be God's judgment. It may be God's judgment. I'm sure you've seen the Facebook posts quoting verses like Leviticus chapter 26. And if by this discipline you're not turned to me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread... Leviticus 26. I'm sure you've had people say to you, as I have, but what do you expect when people turn their back on God and the gospel? What do you expect when, as our country has done in the last year, when it brings in wicked, ungodly laws? I'm sure you've heard too the mad end of the world prophecies and predictions. So, what do we do with this? Is it God's judgment? Is it the end of the world? Yes. And no. Yes and no. First thing I want to say is we need to be careful taking Old Testament passages like Leviticus 26 and the others that we find in Deuteronomy and elsewhere. These are covenant curses made to God's covenant people. These are not... uh, given and made to the world they're made to the church the covenant people more than that they were made to a people who lived in a physical land and that was their promise from God their gift from God their inheritance from God the old covenant was more physical its punishments were more physical God works differently now 
the way the covenant is administered is different now from what it was. God works differently now. So we can't just take those passages and lift them directly and say, this is what's happening. They don't fit. That's misusing scripture. So that's the first thing I want to say. We have to be careful about taking Old Testament passages out of context and not interpreting them as they should be in the whole flow of the Bible. Second thing I want to say is we need to be careful about reading God's providence and God's will. In Luke 13, Jesus heard of uh, two disasters. A tower had fallen on people, 18 had died. Herod had slaughtered Galilean worshippers. And he's asked, do you think... Or he asks, do you think that those people who died at the worship, who died at the tower, do you think they were worse sinners than all others? And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's warning them about reading the tower disaster and the the temple disaster. He's warning them about reading them and assuming God's judgment, assuming God's will. Do you think they are worse sinners than you are? Unless you all repent, you will likewise perish. We need to be careful about reading God's providence and God's will. If we're not careful, we will sound like crackpots. If we're not careful, we will be profoundly insensitive. I'm sure you remember, you know, after 9-11, people declaring, well, this is God's judgment and godless America. Or about AIDS in the, in the early 80s. Well, this is God's judgment on the gays. Well, what about the Christians who contracted AIDS? What about the Christians who were caught up in the two towers? We need to be careful so that we're not insensitive. We need to be careful, too, that we're not inconsistent. That we don't pick and choose our disasters and pick and choose God's judgments for certain things. We need to be careful we don't overlook others. We don't know the will of God on this point. So we need to stick to what God has revealed in his word. But if we are sticking to what God has revealed in his word, we have to acknowledge that It is, in another sense, God's judgment. And in a sense, it is the end of the world. It is God's judgment in the sense that sickness and death are the result of the fall. Only sinners die. Genesis 3, the judicial sentence, judgment of God, you shall surely die. So death is part of God's judgment on the world. The curse of sin has made the planet sick and ill. It has made things not work the way they should. Paul talks in Romans 8 about the whole creation being in bondage to decay. All creation waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be healed, waiting to be restored. Creation itself is sick This virus and every virus is part of God's judgment on a fallen, sinful, God-rejecting world. So it is God's judgment. And it is also the end of the world because we are in the last days. We're unmistakably in the last days. 
the New Testament is crystal clear. From the time of the ascension of Jesus to now, to when he comes again, these are the last days. This is the last great epoch of an era of history. We are in the last days. Jesus is coming soon. He always has been coming soon. His coming has always been near. So in both those senses, this is judgment for sin. This coronavirus pandemic wouldn't happen in paradise. This is the end of the world. In the same way that the bubonic plague in the 1300s was the end of the world. These are signs that we're in the last days. There may be an intensification of these signs as the end comes ever closer. But I think it's, we need to bear in mind that every generation from Christ's ascension onwards has looked at the signs in their time and thought, this is it. It must be now. We don't say any more than scripture. We're in the last days and Christ is coming soon and we need to be ready. What am I saying? I am giving a maybe answer. Is this specifically God's judgment on the sins of a liberal progressive democracies? Is this specifically the last days? It might be. I think our approach should be to neither deny nor confirm. So ultimately, we're not privy to that information. Only God knows when the actual last day, the second coming is. We're not privy to that. We don't need to be. Because what we do know, and why it's okay to say, well, it might be. In one sense, it is God's judgment. In another sense, it is not. Or it might be, or it might not be. The reason we can talk like that is, we know what we need to know. We know that our nation has sinned greatly. And we know that sin brings suffering. And we know that Jesus is coming soon. And we know that people need to repent and believe. That's what Jesus said when faced with this question. Luke 13, 5. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We know we need to repent and believe. It's a little bit like a scene I observed just this evening. Literally as I, as I was looking at this point... I heard the cry of, I'm terrible at identifying, but buzzards or something, some bird of prey, and three of them were hovering over the field out behind us where the lambs have been in the last week or two. You hear the distinctive cry, and the lambs, what do they do? They start to scarper. They start to run for their mother. They scamper to the safety of their mother. And that's how the world is meant to react when we see things like this. We hear the cry. It's meant to alert us to the danger. It's meant to send us scampering to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, to the only place of safety. Whether the world ends tomorrow or not, the response today is repent and believe in Jesus as your saviour. So it's not time to panic. It may be God's judgment and the end of the world. But thirdly, it is. It is time to care. It is time to care. 
You see, my point is that COVID-19 is simply a symptom of a deeper illness. That's what I was trying to communicate to the boys and girls today in the children's address. A symptom of a deeper, more serious illness. The curse of creation because of sin and the curse of death. Even if they discover a vaccine, people will still die that day. People will still die the next day. People will keep on dying. Another illness will come along. It's just a symptom of a much deeper problem. And the only real cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's what Matthew's telling us as he speaks of Jesus doing these healing miracles and then tells us that he, he came and took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus and his work and his ministry and his power is the only real cure by his obedient life and his death in the place of his people and his rising in newness of life that's what defeats sin and death. The miracles, the healing miracles, we read of Jesus coming and, and healing those with a fever. They point to him defeating sin and death. And so that's what we must point the world to, because that's the big problem here. And Jesus is our model in this. This is why we read Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, considered not equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself the, a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think of what Paul is telling us. The Lord Jesus in eternal glory. Equal with God. Coming down into an infected world. Being obedient to the point of death. In his death, we could say, infected with sin. Not because he was a sinner but taking the diseases of his people. And as someone reminded me today, so beautifully pictured when, when Jesus heals the leper and touches the leper and becomes ceremonially unclean in that sense. Taking their uncleanness, our sin, obedient to death, dying that he might save. Here's our model of care for the world and ministry in the world. Not considering our privileges, our safety, something to be held on to. Going out, willing even to be infected, willing even to die, obedient to the point of death, if that is what God ordains. This is our model. Not that we're reckless with life, but we consider the needs of others. You remember what Paul said in verse 4? Do not look only to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. We consider the interests of others. We are willing to sacrifice our own health and well-being. We're obedient even to death because we don't count our life as our own. We realize that we are blood-bought.
bought servants of Christ who owe our allegiance to him, who owe our very lives to him, and we follow in his footsteps. To know how to respond to this or any crisis like this, we need only to look to Christ coming down into the sin-infected world to rescue and help. And you may be seeing there's a quote from Martin Luther doing the rounds on Facebook that captures the spirit of of what Paul is saying here and and how it applies to this sort of situation. I tend to not trust much of what you read on Facebook, but I'm going to assume this is genuine. The sources I heard it from, I I think, would be careful. But here's the quote from Luther as he speaks about ministry in in, in the plague. He sets out his approach I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Prayer. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. He's careful. He's not being careless. He's not taking unnecessary risks. If he were preaching here tonight, he'd have been using the hand sanitizer at the back. Careful. Not careless. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I will have done what he has expected of me. And so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. Prepared to die, if God should so take me. And trusting that that would be the right thing and the best thing in the will of God. If my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. There's the care. Even the costly care, not simply looking out to preserve his own life. If my neighbour needs me, I will go. See, this is such a God-fearing faith. Because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Here's a balance. Prayerful, careful, prepared to die, trusting God's providence, caring for others even at cost to ourselves. A sacrificial care and love. We need to think about our witness in this situation. We need to look to see what opportunities we have to care as individuals, as families, as a congregation. Are there people that we can get supplies for, check with regularly, so that they can minimise their risk, because they're particularly at risk. If schools are closed, if workplaces are shut, can we help each other with childcare arrangements? Can we help people around us with childcare arrangements? We take steps to minimise the risk of infection for the sake of others. I think this is where having deacons comes into its own. We have a whole uh, office in the church here to give themselves to the physical care of others and to take practical steps and to not just do it all themselves but to, to help us serve others in our church, in our community and take a lead in that. We have opportunities to care. We have opportunities to speak, don't we? To speak of the hope that we have in death. How radically our view of death is from the world. What's the worst that can happen? We depart and be with Christ, which is far better, and we do it in the sovereign will of God, who in wisdom and love has planned it from all eternity. 
The world does not know that hope. They need to hear it. Psalm 107, he sent his word to save them. We need to speak. We need to take opportunities to show the peace that we have. You see what's happening out there and we don't need to panic. Because our God is on the throne and we're safe in his hands. And that doesn't mean we're reckless or foolish. But it means we can have peace. And we need to show that by our actions. We need to speak that by our words. George Wishart was a Scottish preacher in the middle of the 500s, 1500s, sorry, in Dundee. After ministering in Dundee, he moved on to the west of Scotland, I think, and he heard that the plague had come to Dundee. He heard that the priests, the Roman Catholic priests, had left, had fled. Wishart went back to Dundee. And he preached. And he cared for the people. At risk to himself. And he told them that there was a much more serious disease that they needed to deal with. And that they needed healing from. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ's. Amen.